you know, volunteers come in without an agenda. Everybody okay. else on the team, they all have a job to do when they're there. The volunteers just there to sit and listen. A lot of times the patients and the families will share things with the volunteer that they haven't shared with anybody else. And it's just a, a safe place that hopefully we can create for them. Hello, and welcome to What's Important to You, a podcast created by Montgomery Hospice and Prince George's Hospice Center for Learning with only one goal in mind, and that is to amplify the volume and reach of diverse voices in healthcare. My name is Terry James Taylor, and I am your host. I plan to give you intriguing insights on various topics, including end of life and grief. I want to open your minds to new perspectives on often overlooked topics. Welcome, everyone. Today's episode is Giving the Gift of Time, highlighting the value of our volunteer program. It is my pleasure to have the Director of Volunteer Services, Heather Boer, here with us today. Heather has worked with Montgomery Hospice and Prince George's Hospice since 2010, first as a volunteer manager, and most recently, as mentioned before, the Director of Volunteer Services and Complementary Therapies. She is responsible for recruiting, training, evaluating, and supervising over 300 volunteers. She has taken her passion for music and veterans to help develop music programs and the We Are Veterans program at Montgomery Hospice and Prince George's Hospice. We look forward to hearing all the wonderful things about our volunteer services. This is near and dear to my heart as well, because at one time I was a volunteer coordinator and I'm still a direct patient care volunteer, along with being a bereavement volunteer. And I work very closely with the outreach volunteers as well. So at this time, Heather, I'd like to get started. If you'd like to say anything prior to, feel free. Hey, thanks, Terry, for having me today. Yeah, um, I've been with Montgomery Hospice for almost 12 years now and as a volunteer coordinator and then most recently a couple years ago became the director of volunteer services. So you and I have had the pleasure of working together, which is great. And I think you understand the value of volunteers and how great what an asset they are to Montgomery Hospice. So I'm happy to share that with everyone. Great. Thank you. So we're going to get right to it. Tell us a little bit of history about the volunteer program. Well, I think volunteers are a very important part of how Montgomery Hospice just even began. Volunteers started uh, Montgomery Hospice in the basement of a church in Chevy Chase in 1981. And that's how Montgomery Hospice got started, just out of a need. And volunteers saw that need and made that come to life. So that's just organically how it happened. But then actually became a requirement in 1982, just a little history, Medicare put into law a requirement that 5% of all billable hours in a hospice had to come from volunteers. So that that kind of quantified our existence and, and then it's required by Medicare. I'm happy to always report that Montgomery Hospice, our numbers are way over 5% each year because of the abundance of volunteers and how robust the program is. But we do have that requirement as a law through Medicare. So that's always interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I never forget a few times of you all tallying just how many hours was spent equivalent to the dollar amount, which is huge, along with mouth. And that's something that is amazing. My next question is, what have you heard people say as to why they want to become hospice volunteers? That thing that pops into my head and probably why a lot of people want to volunteer to give back. Maybe they had a great experience and they want to somehow pay that forward and want to give back to something that they benefited from. So I would say that's the really the main thing. And I think as we come into the new year, a lot of people are looking at their lives, looking at their schedules, looking at what's important to them. You know, how do they want to look at the year ahead? How do they want to give back? 
how can they give back? And I think a lot of times that is through volunteering, whether it be through Montgomery Hospice or anywhere else. You know, we always hear the same thing. We get back more than we give. And so just that feeling of helping and giving assistance, I think, is a huge motivator for people. Absolutely, yes. I always find it interesting when I tell people about our program that we don't, we never advertise for volunteers. So it's always interesting to me to do a training or interview new volunteers and hear why they want to be a volunteer or why they've come to us. And I would say 80% of our volunteers come to us just through their own personal experience, whether it be with Montgomery Hospice or whether it be with any hospice experience that they've had or any end of life experience that they've had. It can come through a a feeling of wanting to give back. Um, It can come through a feeling of wanting to learn more. But generally, people come to us because of their experiences, their positive experiences, or even their negative experiences. You know, they can maybe want to take that negative experience that they had and make it a positive and, you know, try and do their part to make an end of life experience the best it can be for a loved one or a family member or people in the community. So I would say that's why, and some people come to us just out of curiosity about end of life or a passion for it. I think not a lot of times in our, in our society and things like that, that's acceptable to say to people that you have an interest in end of life. People think you're a little strange if you say that. Mm -hmm. Um, But when they come to our trainings or in a room of 25 or 30 people that feel the exact same way, and they automatically have this chemistry and this, this common bond that they have an interest in something as unusual or usual as this. So um, that's always how they seem to come to us. And I think one of the coolest things is that we have such longevity with our volunteers. So that speaks volumes, like you said, when people think, oh, you're volunteer, oh, you're going to volunteer for a hospice. But the amount of time that our volunteers spend with us is phenomenal. Our organization is known to have a robust and comprehensive training for our volunteers. What does that look like? So our training, our volunteer training is a total of 24 hours. And we, we try and spread that out over three days. So um, it's three full days of training for eight hours at a time. And it's just a real comprehensive training about things they might encounter out in the world when they're volunteering and also just things about Montgomery Hospice so they can learn a little bit more about the place that they're volunteering. We pride ourselves in our in our training, and I think it's a special training. There are requirements that we're required through training volunteers, but we go above and beyond that. I mean, not only do they have to know HIPAA, not only do they have to know infection control precautions and important things like that, but we really need to talk about, and we really need to have a lot of discussion about being present and a lot of discussion about how to listen, um, how to be a good listener. Because a lot of people think they can volunteer and they're going to go in and they're going to help. And and that's great. But really, the number one thing that our volunteers do is they sit quietly and listen. And that's really hard for a lot of people. And sometimes it's a learned skill. Sometimes it's something that comes naturally to you. But I think just learning how to be present is the number one thing that we try and teach in our training, just because it's so, so important. So not only do we cover those nitty gritty things, like I said, HIPAA and infection control and the things that are required, but we also try and have our volunteers hear from everyone in the organization. Literally every department is represented in our training to share with our volunteers what they do so that they, our volunteers can have a, a good picture of what our organization does because they're the ones out there in the community. They're the ones sitting with patients and families. So the more they know about admissions and bereavement and philanthropy and everything, the better advocates and ambassadors they can be for us. So I think that's really great. We get great comments and feedback about our training all the time and just how people thought it was going to be boring or they thought it was going to be, oh, 24 hours, that's so long. 
but then they, they leave on the last day and they want to come back for more. So that's always interesting. So it's a really great training. And it's a good time too for kind of it to sift out and just make sure that this is a good place for them. Um, you might come in thinking you want to be a volunteer and it might seem like a good fit, but by the end of the training, maybe you just realize this really isn't quite what you wanted to do or you're not comfortable with it quite yet. So it's a good time to figure that out as well. It is. What type of volunteers do you look for? We have several different types of volunteers. I mean, when you are a hospice volunteer, that doesn't necessarily just mean that you're visiting with patients. Um, we also have a lot of other volunteers that do a lot of other different types of jobs. And that's, um, you can volunteer your time or your expertise with bereavement. We do have a special training to work with bereavement and talking to families after the death of a loved one. And that requires some additional special training. Um, we also have admin volunteers, which are crucial in just supporting our organization. It can be supporting volunteer services. It can be answering phones. It can be filing. It could be putting together admissions packets. We really make our volunteers available to the whole organization. So um, they're always called upon. It can be something as simple as even wrapping gifts for Employee Appreciation Day. So we just have volunteers in so many different capacities. When we're interviewing volunteers, one thing that we are looking for as I mentioned, is just have such a diverse community of volunteers. And it's just such a great representation of our community. And so when people are looking to volunteer, we do ask on your application, if you speak another language, we ask what your hobbies are. We ask um, what your past experiences are. Just because we have so many uh, patients that speak so many different languages, um, we have patients that have so many different interests and hobbies. And you just never know when something, a hobby that you have might be something that one of our patients or their family has. So it might seem insignificant to you, but um, when you're able to offer up that expertise or talk about something, a uh, commonality that you have with a patient, it's very meaningful. And so we like to know all of your interests. Mm -hmm. One of the things that always stood out for me and that I will always carry for myself is when I was a volunteer coordinator, it's a couple of stories, but this one really stood out and it shows how much volunteers have ushered our staff in. I never forget, I received a call from a family member and the daughter was at her wit's end because mom wouldn't see anyone. And the only way that we were really able to get in, the nurse, of course, was able to come in, but it was just a very tough case. And then we were sharing with her, well, why don't we just start out with a volunteer? Maybe that'll calm your mom down a little bit. And we started asking different questions about her mom. What is it that mom would like? And the daughter said, oh, she has an African violet that she really loves. So we just started out by having the volunteer go in and water her plants. And that lasts for a good little while. And I have to be mindful not to name names, but that person, um, that was such a good story. That person um, now actually works for Montgomery Hospice and First Church's Hospice, but it was just a beautiful story how the volunteer was able to usher in such a wonderful relationship, um, not only with the patient, but with the family, because the patient was very adamant on not wanting anybody um, coming in. She just took the portions of what she had to have in order to be in the program, but the volunteer really opened up and blossomed the relationship. I think it's hard for people who wants to ask for help. You know, people don't want to necessarily ask for help or even identify the fact that they might need help. Um, we, I think we always try and avoid that word when we offer volunteers to families. We say more of, you know, how can we support your loved one or how can we support you? That just seems to be a more receptive way of hearing that. And I've heard the same thing. We had another volunteer that and you know him, Terry, that he just went and he fed the birds. 
Um, he just went in every week and fed the birds. And then finally the patient, another gentleman, you know, they just started talking by the fourth or fifth week. They just, that trust was established and, yes. you know, volunteers come in without an agenda. Everybody yeah. else on the team has an agenda. The nurse is there, the social worker, the chaplain, they all have a job to do when they're there. The volunteers just there to sit and listen. And a lot of times the patients and the families will share things with the volunteer that they haven't shared with anybody else. And it's just a, a safe place that hopefully we can create for them. Mm -hmm. And I always like when we would always do a trainer to say, which is so true, you are the eyes and the ears. Right. Share with me a little bit about the protections in place for volunteers to help them interact in the hospice field. Well, I think I touched on it when I was talking a little bit about our training, but something that we highlight, if you've, anyone who's ever done our training knows our mantra, it's we meet them where they are. And um, we say that over and over and over again in our training. And we just really, really feel that boundaries are important. They're important for the patient and they're important for the volunteer. Those boundaries will allow you to be able to be a healthy volunteer physically, emotionally, and everything else and give you longevity. I mean, we have so many volunteers that have been with us for so long. And why? I really believe it's because we put those boundaries in place for them. We respect their boundaries and we encourage conversation and we encourage discussion about how their visits are going and maybe things that aren't working or maybe things that are working. And just those boundaries, I think, just provide that protection. We, we tell our volunteers that they're professional friends which sounds like an oxymoron. It's hard to be a friend and a professional, but they're really professional friends. They're friends and companions, but they need those boundaries to do what they do and to be able to go visit another patient at another time. Um, you need to be able to protect yourself with those boundaries. What does one of those boundaries look like? I think a big one that we, we share with volunteers, which is such a natural thing and it sounds so simple, but it's even just as simple as sharing your phone number. You know, we ask that our volunteers not share their phone number with the families. And it seems like they look at us and they say, why not? It makes it so much easier. I can just call the patient. The patient can call me. And then we say, okay, time out. Let's see what that looks like. You're on vacation and your, your patient is having a problem or they really need you to visit. And they call you directly and you can't answer the phone because you're out of town. Or you are out of town, you can't answer the phone, but there's nothing you can do because you're thousands of miles away. You know, it could be that they would call you in the middle of the night. Um, we want our, our patients and our families to kind of be trained to always call Montgomery Hospice first with any problem that they have. Another boundary is just keeping that professional line, just to allow yourself that emotion not to be too emotionally involved, um, that you're not out there all alone. You do have a team. You know, there's a whole team behind you and the volunteers are considered unpaid staff. They're an important part of the team but they're not the only ones. And so that's really, really important, I think, to always remember because when you're one-on-one -on -one with someone, you might feel like the only one, but if you step back and realize that you have a whole team of people there to support you and to support the patient, I think that's really important for them to remember. Absolutely. How do the volunteers maintain morale and not get desensitized to the work that they're doing or get jaded while volunteering? I think it can be hard. And, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, you're, you're in a, a sacred space of someone's life. You know, you're at the end of life. They might not be allowing family in. They might, friends might not be seeing them as much, but you're there as a volunteer. And, and that can be kind of heavy and kind of a lot sometimes. So I think you have to know how to deal with that and how to think about it, how to, when you leave, how, you know, what are you going to do with that visit? Are you going to continue to think about it? Are you going to journal about it? Are you going to call? your volunteer manager and talk to them about it. Maybe you just need to talk about it. 
and say, you know, I really had a tough visit today, or it was difficult to communicate with my patient, or it was really sad. They really had declined a lot in this visit, and it really affected me. And I think we really, we encourage that communication and that discussion because we've heard it all, I feel like. And so we're always happy to talk with our volunteers about their experiences and how they're feeling about their visits. And I think that's just really helpful. We also, for our volunteers, we also do um, monthly in-services. So our in-services can be anywhere from education. It can be learning about dementia, learning about ALS, learning about different diagnoses and diseases, or it can just be sharing. Um, A lot of times we get our volunteers together and we just share experiences. And that's great because when you're a volunteer, you're kind of out there all by yourself. You're not volunteering in a group. You're not going home and sharing, hopefully, your, your experiences with too many people because of HIPAA. And we, you know, we're obviously mindful of that when we meet in a group as well. But it's being with fellow volunteers and people in the same situation and who might have some good tips for you. And so I think that definitely helps without them to get jaded or desensitized or frustrated. It validates the work that they do. And I would say the variety of areas that they can volunteer into, I think is very good from being able to do tea time at Casey House, administrative volunteer, bereavement volunteer, outreach volunteers. There's such a variety, especially for folks who are volunteering as direct patient care. Instead of them leaving because they've gotten burned out, we always have the flexibility to have them to work in the office. Not right now, of course, because of COVID, but we have so many variety of different things for them to do to take a break from the patient care. And I think that that's really good. And all of those areas are pretty robust as well. Yeah. And we encourage that if we see that someone has struggled or maybe a volunteer has had a patient for a year or more and has really developed this close relationship and they pass away. It's always great. We have, we tell them to, to please take a break. You know, it's for your own protection and for your own healing and, and it's grief and they need to identify that grief and, and to deal with that grief. And so we do encourage volunteers to take breaks, um, whether they have a, a loved one in their family pass away or whether it's one of their patients. And um, they always come back and they always come back rejuvenized and, and energized and ready to do it again, but they just need that time. And we respect that and we never, ever question it. We want them to do that. Mm-hmm. Self-care is so important as a volunteer, as well as it is as a staff member as well. It's, it's mm-hmm. not easy. And as we look forward to eventually being able to come out of COVID and start visiting again, one of the things that we didn't really mention, and if you would talk a little bit about, we have an entity with the complementary pieces with the Reiki and the different things like that. Tell us about that. Right. Well, our complementary therapies department is just huge. And I've just seen it explode over the past 10 years with just about every kind of therapy you can think of. So our complementary therapies are just so robust and exciting. We have volunteers that have pets that bring their pets with them on a visit. They're certified therapy dogs that go on visits and just the touch of being able to touch a pet. And that just gives conversation and creates conversation. All of our volunteers are trained how to give a lavender oil hand massage. And so they're able to offer that as well. I would say so many music is so easy to bring with them now, whether it be on their phone Um, whether it be just through bringing an instrument. Um, We have so many volunteers that play different instruments. We have a threshold choir, um, which is a choir of three or four people that go out and sing to patients at the bedside and just so many different things like that. Um, We have reverie harps that volunteers are trained how to play. They can bring those. It's a lap-sized harp that they can bring on their visit, and it's something that the patient can 
either try themselves or can listen to. And so those are all great tools that we like to add into the volunteers toolbox when they go out on visits to be able to connect with the patient, whether it be, like I said, through music or whether it be through an animal, a pet, or just the gift of touch. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. And lastly, we do have coming up soon, Martin Luther King Jr. Day of Service. So you want to talk about that, what we're going to do this year? Sure. We're fortunate to um, work with the county, Montgomery County, and every year they've been so generous with us and in, in doing projects with us. It's always a popular thing on their agenda. So what we um, do is that we are, the, the county donates fabric to us. Um, our volunteers cut it into blankets, and then the community puts the blankets together by tying the ends into some of these simple fringe blankets that people might have seen. And those blankets then are given to our patients. This year, we're happy that all of the blankets are going to be patriotic blankets and 100% of the blankets are going to be allocated to go towards our We Honor Veterans program, which will be um, veteran patients will receive a blanket, which is a really nice thing that we have to offer. And through our We Honor Veterans program, we do um, veteran pinnings where we have a couple of volunteers that are veterans that visit fellow veteran patients. They offer them a certificate, a pin and a blanket. And uh, one last thank you for their service. And so it's just great that we can give them this tangible thank you of a blanket. And we've heard some from so many families after the passing of their loved one, that that blanket has just been so important to them. It's just been a symbol of what their loved one, of their past, and then just about the, the generosity of Montgomery Hospice during that time. So we're glad to be able to do that and to partner with the county. And what better occasion than Martin Luther King Day? Thank you. Thank you so much. And of course, we can go on and on. Um, but at this time, um, we're going to end our podcast and thank everyone who tuned in and joined. And we have so much to talk about and we will have some more continued discussions and podcasts in the future regarding our wonderful volunteers. Thank you. And thank you, Heather. Thanks, Terry. Thank you to our listeners. This was What's Important to You, a podcast by Montgomery Hospice and Prince George's Hospice Center for Learning with one goal in mind, and that is to amplify the volume and reach of diverse voices in healthcare. To learn more, please visit www.montgomeryhospice.org forward slash podcast and download, share, and subscribe. Thank you so much for joining us today.